turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Whether you have that in your paper Bible or whether you have that on your device, please open up to Ephesians chapter 2. There's been a, a lot of talk about wall building in our country over the last year. It was a major topic of conversation during the presidential election last year. The topic continues to be a hot topic today. Do we build a wall between America and Mexico? Do we not? How do we handle all that? Today I want to talk about a wall. But please do not take this as a political point. As a matter of fact, some have used our text that we're going to get in today, today to make their point for whether you should or you should not build a wall between our two countries. Let me just say, I don't believe our Scripture today has anything to do with the political debate on whether we build a wall between America and Mexico. So please do not interpret this as, oh, Brian's making a political stance. This is our text and it deals with a wall, but it's nothing to do with our border wall. Robert Frost begins his famous poem called Mending Wall with these words. He says, something there is that doesn't love a wall. It's a wonderful poem. I think it's filled with some humor and a sense of sadness. It's about two neighbors who go through the same ritual every single spring, meeting at the wall to repair damage that had taken place during the winter. They refill the gaps of the fallen stones that have, that have been left, and they repair the damage done by hunters who were in pursuit of their game that has left the wall in disrepair. The neighbors have apparently done this for many years, yet it strikes the narrator of the poem to question just why is there a wall there in the first place? They don't have cows anymore. They have no one to, to keep inside of the walls, no one to stray from one property to another. There's just trees. So the writer says, why is there still a wall? Hasn't time passed that there's no longer a purpose for the wall, yet it remains? Why? Just because it's always been there. Today we talk about a wall because the truth is it's human nature to construct walls. It's human nature to kind of wall ourselves in. In our neighborhoods, we build houses and then we hold up inside of the house, rarely venturing out to get to know our neighbors. I mean, really getting to know them in a society where we kind of develop these walls and put fences up around our property. Say, this is my property. Stay off of my property. I'm going to do my thing and you do your thing. There are still walls which exist from 150 years ago after the end of slavery in America that still divide some people from skin color of black and white and they still exist today. There are walls which divide gender, which divide men and divide women. There are walls of social status to divide the affluent from the poor. There are walls all around us. For many, perhaps, they help us feel comfortable. For some, it helps you feel protected. For some, it helps you feel unchallenged. But I'm convinced that's how it was in the first century Gentiles, to whom Paul is writing his letter of Ephesians to. We'll see in this text this morning that there's a great divide between Jew and Gentile in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is about the church. We've been on this journey for the last few weeks, walking through and seeing how God instructed the church. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus to be circulated among other area churches. You know, I'm sending this letter to Ephesus, but I want this letter to go further. And so today, it's gone further right to us in the year 2017. 
And he'll concentrate later on on some moral implications of being in Christ. He has emphasized the blessing so far of being found in Christ. He's emphasized the power that is found in Christ. He's reminded Christians from where they came, and he said, you were dead in your sin, but now you are alive in Christ. And so for the first three chapters, Paul keeps coming back again and again and again, saying, this is who we are in Christ. Now, when we get in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we'll say, now, because you're in Christ, here's how you should live your life. But all this has been to show the church how to be the church and how Christians should interact as our relationship within Christ because God is about building His church. But as any good construction worker can tell, before you can build some things, uh, you sometimes have to tear down some things. And so look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world Paul starts out this passage with a simple call just remember the wall Remember the barrier that's between us and God. Paul says, remember the wall that is the barrier that's between the the Jew and the Gentile. Uncircumcised was typically a disrespectful term used by the Jews who were known as the chosen, and they would refer to the Gentiles, well, you're the uncircumcised, and it was way to put them down, a way to say that they they were not good people. They were heathens and clearly not acceptable to God, and they were not the people of God, and so that's what the Jews refer to the Gentiles on. It would be hard to adequately describe to you in today's term the disdain that the Jews had for Gentiles. You would say, well, it's kind of like the rival maybe between Louisville and Kentucky. No, not even that strong. For me, it'd be like, well, it's like the rival between Michigan and Ohio State. No, it's not even that strong. It would be adequately described that as wide as the divide has been between maybe blacks and white in America and what's happened in the years of slavery. And I don't think that quite does it justice to show us the divide that's taken place between the Jew and the Gentile. You may say as the bitter divide right now that's between fundamentalist Muslims and Christians, and that's not even the same thing. Because the divide was so strong. The divide was racial. But it extended way beyond the race. It was political, but it extended way beyond politics. It was religious, but it extended way beyond even religion. Other ancient Jew writings referred to Gentiles as fuel for the fires of hell. That's how the Jews saw the Gentile. That they are just fuel for the fires of hell. They have no right in God's kingdom. Signs were posted in Latin Greek warning the Gentiles not to go any further in temple precincts under the penalty of death. See, in the temple in the first century, there was this dividing wall which separated the important parts of the temple, the court for the Israelites, with the court of the Gentiles. And so the Israelites were allowed to go into the holy, holy, the closer part, getting closer to God. The Gentiles are in the outside court, and there were signs that were posted that said, you're not allowed to come past this point, basically because you're not worthy. Archaeological digs and so forth have found these kinds of signs and it's been proven. Imagine how difficult it must have been for either group to extend the right hand of fellowship for a Jew to say to a Gentile, welcome, you're now part of my family. Or imagine the Gentiles being able to say to the Jew, welcome, we're glad that we're brothers and sisters in Christ now. And so there was this, this struggle, this great divide. But remember, Paul is talking to the Gentile Christians. 
They were Gentiles by birth, literally by flesh, but now they're Christians, and now they're part of the church in Ephesus. Now they're part of God's kingdom. And Paul tells them to remember when they were separated from God. Remember when you were away from God. Remember when the wall had separated you from God. Paul said, I want you to remember what your life was like. Separation from Christ, from God. Its definition is a spiritual death. Because Paul says, you were dead in your sin. You were separated. You were without God. They were excluded from citizenship among God's people. They were foreigners. They were strangers to the covenant, to the promise of God. They were without hope because they were without God. And Paul's trying to draw them back. Remember what life was like until you met God. Why does Paul want them to remember? Because one needs to remember how bad it was before they met Christ. Before one can appreciate how sweet it is in Christ. Stop and think for a moment. Can you remember what your life was like before Christ? Stop and dwell on that for a second. For some, this goes way back. And you go, man, I've been in Christ for so long, I don't even remember what it was like. Maybe it was stress. Maybe you were overwhelmed. Maybe it was discontentment. Maybe it was addictions you were dealing with. Maybe it was just dealing with selfishness. All kinds of struggles that you maybe you can think of. Before I was in Christ, it was this way. For some, though, you've grown up in the church and you just say, I don't remember what, a, what it used to be because I've been in Christ my entire life. Praise God for that. 1949, following the defeat of Nazi Germany in World War II and the reorganization of Europe, the nation of Germany was divided in what? They were divided in the East and the West. In the East, a communist government was set up under the influence of the Soviet Union. In the West, a free democratic government was set up and benefited greatly from the Marshall Plan and the economics of free enterprise. Life became much better in the West with the German citizens. The city of Berlin became a crucible where these divided philosophies would literally divide the city. Fearful of losing many of its citizens, East Germany closed the border between the two states in 1952. Really not that long ago. But that didn't keep an estimated 2.5 million East Germans from fleeing to West Germany between 1949 and 1961, going, we want the better life that West Germany has. And so East Germany says, we've got to stop this. So in 1961, the East German government built the Berlin Wall, strictly enforcing such defections and said, no longer will you leave our country, you will stay in East Germany. The wall stood for almost 30 years as a very real symbolic divide between the East and the West. And I still remember, even though I was a young man, a speech given by President Reagan in 1987 when I was 15 years old at the Brandenburg Gate, a section of the Berlin Wall of West Berlin. At the height of the Cold War, the president used the opportunity to encourage freedom and a new peace. As he spoke about the wall behind him, which separated West Berlin from East Berlin for decades, I still remember the words when President Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Many of you remember that, and if you don't remember it, you've probably heard about it in history. I can't help in hearing those words from recalling the images we just saw a few short years later when the wall was literally torn down in November of 1987, the East German government held a press conference and lifted travel restrictions between the two Germanies. And Germans, both East and West, scaled the wall in celebrations. You probably remember the pictures of people dancing on top of the walls as the walls are going to be torn down. Today, nothing of it remains in a united Germany and a whole Britain. Nothing. The wall's just gone. 
The wall is eliminated, a thing in the past. The most frequent asked question today in Berlin is, where's the wall? What happened to it? It's gone. We must remember the wall to remember where we came from, but the wall is gone. And that's what Paul starts to point to because Paul says the wall is gone and Jesus is our peace. Look at the text in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul is emphasized, you remember the wall, but he emphasizes that Jesus Christ is our peace. Is Jesus your peace today? What Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus is true today. That Jesus is our peace. Christ has torn down the wall that has divided for so long. And Paul is making this emphasis because he's writing to a Jew and a Gentile audience to say, here's where we were and here's how you fought. But look now, it makes the comparison, brings it right into what Christ has done. We typically think of peace as usually the absence of war. When I think of peace, my mind conjures up images of those who have protested against wars through the years. But in the 60s, there was those who created their own subculture and came to be known as the peaceniks as they were trying to protest against the wars. That's not the kind of peace Paul's talking about here. Peace is not just the absence of hostility. It is so much more. It has its roots in the Old Testament concept of shalom, a fundamental Jewish concept even of today. Shalom is a much more comprehensive term for salvation and life, which is from God. It means wholeness, completeness, well-being, prosperity. In other words, shalom is the way things should be. It's the actual ideal of what God wanted to happen. And in Christ, we can have the ideal of God's plan. Christ has restored the ideal by destroying the wall, bringing Jew and Gentile together. Notice, the two are made one in Him. We are made one in Him. His purpose was to create in Himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace is what the Scripture calls. Thus bringing us to the place of peace, completeness, wholeness, well-being, prosperity. The Gentiles who had been so far from God, separated by so much, have now been brought near to God. And Israel too, who had been waiting for the coming Messiah, but had failed Him miserably in their keeping of the law, reconciled now to God. Reconciliation happens through the blood of Christ. What God has done in Christ has reconciled. He says, now you're one. You're no longer a Jew or a Gentile. We're now one because we are in Christ. For Paul, all this happens in Christ. We were, we were walled away from God and Christ tore down the wall. You just get a vision of that. Get a vision in your head of what it would be like to be separated from somebody for so long and now the wall is gone. Notice the fullness of the Godhead, though, in verse 18. What happens as a result of this? And in verse 18 it says, For through Him, points to Christ, we both have access to the Father, God, by one Spirit, that Holy Spirit, 
But the barrier is gone. We all, and that would be Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white, have full access to the Father because we share the one Spirit. And so Paul says, remember the wall and know that because of Jesus Christ we have peace. And since Christ is our peace, we are welcome to God's great house. We're welcome to God's family. Look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's very own household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. I mean, to build, one must tear down first. Now with the wall torn down, God has built His church, the house of God. You ever been through a construction project where you remodel a house? Sometimes it's really hard for a while because it's a mess. Or you remodel a car or rebuild a car. You take it all apart, but then there's always a process of rebuilding. So God says, "I I tore down the wall because I gave Jesus. Notice who's in the house. It says, you our fellow citizens with God's people. Literally, it means holy people and members of God's household. In other words, we are all family. We are brothers and sisters. That's where the term comes from. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. An amazing thing happened when Christ removed the barrier between us and himself. He also tore down the barriers that we build between ourselves and other people. That's why I think the church is an amazing thing when you look across the church and you see different races and different abilities and and different uh, economic status because we are all one. His church is to be a place where all people can come together and share together equally. His church is to be a place where there's room for all. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, For you are all one in what? In Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The ground at the cross is level, in other words. There is room for all. I want you to hear that today. If you're not in Christ as of yet, I want you to know there is room for you. No matter what barriers you think there may be, whatever sins you may carry, whatever difficulties you may have, no matter what race you come from, no matter what what economic status you come from, there is room for all at the cross. This peace, the restored relationship, is both a vertical and a horizontal relationship. Between me and God, there's peace because of what Jesus did on the cross. But between you and me, between brothers and sisters, the horizontal relationship, there is peace because of what Christ did did on a cross. Too many people believe that religion is only what a person does when they express to God alone. They believe that a relationship with God is between God alone. They forget that the vertical relationship with God expresses itself in a horizontal relationship with others and how we love each other. And that's why Christ says to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the relationship is vertical and it's horizontal, and it only happens because of what happened in the peace of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that was started with the cross. Christianity is to be lived out in community with other Christians. The text did not say, He is my peace. He says, He is our peace. And the term our is a term of community. It's a, te- uh, it's a term of something that we go through together. This house seems to be on pretty solid footing. 
Paul says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I don't believe Paul has in mind here Old Testament prophets, but the numerous evangelists, teachers, preachers like himself who have traveled preaching the message of reconciliation to anyone who would listen. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, his a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The message is pretty simple, a message of reconciliation. The wall has come down. The messengers are ambassadors like Paul, to whom this message had been committed. And the messengers are us in the year 2017, because this message has been committed to us to carry it forward. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. That's who we stand upon. He's the most important stone in the building of this kingdom called his church. Cornerstones in ancient buildings were the primary load-bearing stones that carried all the weight that determined how solid a building was going to be. It kind of set the plumb line, so to speak. The rest of the building, one cornerstone on earth in Palestine was found to, be, to weigh 570 tons. It's a lot of weight. I don't know how they moved it without modern technology of today and how they set it in place. But that's the cornerstone that Paul would be referring to. He'd be making a comparison. Look how solid that cornerstone is. That's how solid Jesus Christ is even more. God's church would be built upon that rock of Jesus Christ himself. He sets the standard for the church, not the world. He sets the agenda for the church. The world does not set the agenda. In fact, the Christian community has no other reason to exist other than for Christ himself. Do you realize that's why we exist? We exist to glorify God. We exist for Christ himself. What does this message say to us? I think the only thing Paul tells us to do in this text is to remember he says, remember what life was like beforehand. Remember the wall. The, it is if God's word is his church, what does this have to say to the walls, either implicit or, or explicit, that we erect? Among Christians, the walls that exist amongst Christians must go, I, I think Paul would say. Are, are there still walls which divide the affluent and the poor? Are there attitudes within the church or within you that say, well kind of different social status. I, mean, I see them at church, but nah, we're not going to really interact. And Paul would say, tear down those walls. Are, are, there, are there walls between races, between the black and the white? Are there walls that you see someone who has a different skin color and you go, well, I don't really understand their culture and don't understand that group of people, and so they're over there and I'm over here? Paul said, tear down those walls. What about the less obvious walls, like between the young and the old? Maybe someone who's older who says, I'm not going to interact with younger people. Younger people look at the older people and go, ah, oh, they're crazy. I don't know. I don't want to listen to them. What about, what about long-time members versus new-time members? That can happen in churches sometimes. The long-term members are like, no, this is our church. We've got control of this church. We do it our way. And the members are like, hey, I want to plug in, but boy, I can't get across anything. Can't get into anything. Those walls are be down. Are, are we doing everything we can to be welcoming to everybody? One of my desires in the church and for Centerpoint is that every single person that walks through these doors feel like they were welcomed here and that when they came in, they experienced a touch from Jesus. 
no matter what they look like, no matter how they behave, no matter what skin color, no matter what they're wearing, that everybody is welcome in this place. Does that everybody find a comfortable place in our family? Who are we walling in or out? Unintentionally or unknowingly sometimes. Paul says the walls are gone because of what Christ did. If this is God's word to his church, what does this have to say about our foundation? Who or what are we founded upon? What is our cornerstone? Is it Jesus Christ or is it ourselves? What are we building just the foundation of Center Point Christian Church on? Our own works and abilities? See, at tomorrow, the very foundations of this congregation were shooken to the core. What if our government came in and said, no longer can you practice a religion, and they come in and bulldoze and say, this building comes down because this is a religious place of worship. Are we strong enough to still say, no, the church still exists? See, if we're built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, we will. If we're built upon the foundation of man or programs or things that we do, it will surely fail. But if it's built upon Jesus, then the message continues. And that's why Christ's message has now continued for years and centuries and decades because even though people try to stop it, it continues. This text is a call for the church to be the church. The text is a call for the family of God to really be the family, to be a place of reconciliation, to be a place where walls are let down and be open and honest and real relationships are formed, to be a place where Jesus is center, where he's at the heart and core of everything we want to do and everything we're trying to be. And it's a call for us to be a type of Christians that can form a church such as this. And Paul says, this is what Christ's church looks like. The walls are torn down. Have you had a dividing wall between... God and you broken down? That's another call in the text. Is have you accepted, have you committed your life to Jesus Christ so that the wall is totally destroyed? Jesus did His part by going to the cross. God did His part by lifting Jesus out of the grave. Our part is to accept the message. Have you done that? Have you turned from the sins of the past, named Jesus as your Lord of life, committed your life to Him, and being baptized into Christ? That's another part of the call, is to be in Christ. And the call of Ephesians is, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you celebrate that, and you remember, and you say, this is what life was, but now this is how I live. If you're not in Christ, we'd love to help you cross that line of faith today. You say, how can I do that? Well, we're prepared. The baptistry's warm. We have clothes that are ready. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, here in a moment, we're moving to a time of communion. You want to accept Jesus as your Savior? You just get up and move to the back as we continue to worship. I'll meet you back there and help you, help you uh, cross that line of faith. And we'll help maybe just have a discussion if that's where you're at. Or if today's your day and you say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, and we'll help you cross that line of faith today. Some people use their connection card and say, I want to start talking about this. I want to know more about Jesus. But we're here to help you cross that line of faith and to break down that wall. And as we worship and we celebrate and receive communion this morning, what a reminder for us to remember what Jesus did in tearing down the walls so that we can be reconciled back to God. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, this passage as I look at it screams out a huge act of your love and your grace and your mercy because you're the one that tore down the wall. You're the one that made it possible for us to be reconciled back to you by the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Father, I pray we don't take that lightly. 
I pray, Lord, we take this, this call here and this scripture so serious that we will want to tear down walls that divide any kind of racial or, or um, economical, any kind of barriers between man and woman. Lord, we want to tear all those down and we be one in Christ. Lord, maybe this be a place of worship that welcomes everybody. May we live that out in our Christian faith that we welcome because we know it's not just about a, a vertical relationship between us and you, Father, but it's also a horizontal relationship, loving brothers and sisters, loving mankind. Father, today we receive this communion and we say thank you. Thank you for Jesus and we remember Jesus tearing down the wall. But also, Lord, we... Pray, and if there's someone in this room today who's not received Jesus, maybe today would be their day that they would stand up and go to the back and say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and cross that line of faith and finish blowing up that wall in their own life by receiving you as Savior. Lord, we honor you and we praise you now as we receive our communion during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.